Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, we have news. November of 2024. We are going to Cape Cod, Massachusetts to treat folklore and evermore by Taylor Swift as sacred. I'm so excited to lead this pilgrimage. These albums are such a different space for Taylor, where instead of being about litigating a tabloid narrative that's been created around her and her life and asserting her own perspective, this was about her re- interpreting her own feelings and experiences through fictional lenses. And so we get to meet all of these characters and some of them are like con men who fall in love with other con people. And others are like depressed middle-aged people who are like, if this is the best I can do, (laughs) work with me here. And I am so excited to sort of talk about the kind of art that you get to create when you have privacy and you're free from scrutiny and self-examination. I'm so excited to explore all of that at the beautiful auto camp where everybody is going to have a private 1950s Airstream that's been converted into like a luxury hotel room complete with your own bathroom. It's just like the best glamping situation you could possibly imagine. Which I've just wanted to glamp my whole life. I'm so excited. Everybody, this is going to be November 8th through 11th in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. You can find out more by going to readingandwalkingwith.com. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. My name is Ashley. Ten years ago, I married my husband and we started trying to start a family. Two years into trying, it was quite apparent that we were going to need a lot more help. And our doctor had pretty much told us that in order to get pregnant, we'd have to explore IVF. I found our infertility to be extremely stressful. And I also had a really stressful job in healthcare. And so I decided to embark on my year of no. My year of no meant that I was going to say no to anything that didn't serve our purpose of getting pregnant. (laughs) I felt immense amounts of stress and I thought that this would work for me. I saw some ads in our local community, which is very small, for drama tryouts. And I was asked by a coworker if I wanted to join this group. But I stuck to my boundary and I said no. This is a boundary that I wish I hadn't stuck to. I do regret it. I now belong to this drama group, and it has given me immense amounts of community support. It's a huge source of joy in my life and friendship. I love to sing. I love to act. And it's a great emotional release for me. I wish that I would have joined this group a lot earlier and done this for myself. But I didn't. And that is the one time I regret sticking to my boundary. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. I'm Casper Tech-Kyle. And I'm Bridget Goggin. And this is The Real Question. We are lucky enough to be joined today by very dear friend, Bridget Goggin. Bridget is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and lives in Somerville, Massachusetts. 
She has her BA in Applied Anthropology from Hendricks College and her MTS from Harvard Divinity School, which is where she was lucky enough to meet me. She currently works as the Managing Director for the Center of Adult Jewish Learning at Temple Israel of Boston. Bridget, thank you so much for coming on The Real Question and bringing a question, being our first guest and bringing this question to us. I'm so glad to be on The Real Question because I'm just so excited about this podcast project that you all are doing. And hearing Ashley's voicemail really resonated with me because that's the heart of the question that I'm bringing here. The heart of like thinking you're doing the right thing for yourself when you make a boundary, when you make boundaries, you set up these rules about how you're going to say yes and no to things. And then you watch them be not right. Like you watch them be a mistake or you feel worse instead of better or setting yourself up for the less good version of you, like the the version of you that just doesn't feel quite like what you're reaching for. And th- and that's what I'm struggling with right now is this, this, this setting up of boundaries that are maybe not the right guidance for what I should be saying yes and no to right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm really identifying with what Ashley is talking about, that that longing. And I'm so glad that she got to the yes that she needed to get to. Like, it's not this, like, and I never joined the drama club. Like that would have been like a significantly sadder story, but one that a lot of people have, I think we don't off. I I think it's a special thing to have the experience of getting to eventually say yes to the thing that you wish you had said yes to. Yeah, absolutely. I was so touched by Ashley's story because it was one of those examples where you do put up those boundaries, right? You're saying no because you've you've made a commitment to a bigger yes. And that feels really clarifying. And then there are moments where a yes that you didn't know you could say yes to shows up. And then you've got all of these no boundaries. And it's all the more bewildering because it's us who made the choice. And I think that's what can be so painful about these situations is that I really like to blame other people for my problems. And so in this case, I'm just like, well, it's just me. So I'm really grateful that you brought us this question of what to do with boundaries when there's a yes that shows up unexpectedly when you've, when you've committed to no. So thanks for being with us, Bridget. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting hearing this because when I think about this question, I think about how much I love saying no I don't find yeses to be very appealing. And and in that way, boundaries are really great. I love the idea of boundaries. I feel really protected by saying no. And a lot of that is because I have an anxiety disorder Mm. and that anxiety disorder really, really loves avoidance. And so that's why this is a particularly tricky question for me, because there are yeses that are important for me, and yet there are noes that feel so good. Um, And how do I recognize that? How do I use boundaries in a good way and not in an avoidance way? So when I was a freshman in college, I started at this very small liberal arts school called Hendricks College. I was the only person from anyone I knew who went there. It's not like a bunch of people from my school in Tulsa went to Hendricks. So I'm a new freshman at this new small school. I'm in the dorms and there's this tradition at Hendricks for freshmen called Shirt Tales. Shirt Tales at Hendrix was this week-long event where you trained all week in your dorms. And then at the weekend, there would be a big event, a big party that all of the alumni would come back to and watch this dance competition between all the dorms. So all the freshmen would learn this silly, goofy dance. Again, it was this like big hoopla in the fall. And I did not participate in Shirt Tales at my freshman dorm. I said, no, thank you many times and lots of reasons. The first is that I was like fairly like freshman in college. Bridget was very religious. Like I grew up with like this evangelical background that meant a lot to me. Like it was a big part of my identity and it was how I made a lot of my decisions. And it felt a little icky to just like go put on tiny booty shorts and like do a dance in front of people. It just didn't feel right. And I did not drink at at all at that time. And it felt a little like I was going to be the only sober one. This is like a hazing thing. Like I'm not into this. So it felt really easy, like check, check, check these boundaries. Like this puts me in an uncomfortable position. Like it pushes me past something that I don't feel is right with with my morals. Like I'm not going to do that. And so I didn't, I did not do it. And then I went to Shirt Tales, the event, and Everyone was having so much fun and I didn't know anyone at all. I hadn't made any new friends throughout this like week of prep for shirt tails. I didn't meet anybody. And 
everyone was having a lot of fun and it was this really incredible bonding experience and it was silly and joyful and loving. And not once did I look at that and say like, I was right to say no to that. Like, good for you, Bridget. Mm -hmm. You did not let them defile you or, you know, whatever, because there was a lot of love there. The upperclassmen were protecting the freshmen. No one had to do anything they didn't want to do. Like there was all these like different versions of the dance happening. I was also in the dorm rainy hall, which was known as the nunnery. Like we were the like goody two shoes dorm. And so like part of the joke was like being way more low key than everybody else. And it was just so fun. And then not only did I miss out in that moment, I mean, I still felt okay that I'd made the right decision. Like that's never something I would have done. I see that they're having fun, but like, I am okay with this decision. But Sure Tales happens every year. And every year, sophomore year, junior year, senior year, I felt more and more like sadness that this wasn't part of my story at this school that meant a lot to me as I continued my time there. I really did end up making Mm -hmm. incredible friends. I really did feel a deep bond to this school. I'm like, I have so much pride and, and love for this place that I went. And yet I have no Surtail stories. I have no connection to it. And that's really sad that I don't have this, this one tie that I could have had to the tradition of the school. And, and so I think about that a lot. Boundaries that I think were good and right and meant a lot to me at the time led me to make a decision that was like a pretty low stakes decision. But yet that repeatedly kept reminding me that I had chosen to stay disconnected from something that really mattered to me. Mm. And I, and I think about that moment a, a lot when I, when I want to say no to something and worry, what connection am I missing and in, in making? Bridget, I'm really moved and struck by that story. And I totally feel this like every year, this like, God, I really messed up moment. But also, would you have had fun that week? Like would evangelical, socially anxious Bridget have had fun that week? Or is it possible that like this wasn't going to be something you thrived in and you're sad, like you weren't able to do? Like, I really regret not going to a wedding at one point. I couldn't afford to go. Like, I didn't have the money. It was expensive to fly there and I would have had to get a hotel. And so, like, I regret that I couldn't go. But like, I just regret that I couldn't afford to go. I didn't make the wrong decision. And so I'm, I'm just wondering your thoughts about that. It's a really good question. Like, would I have had fun in that moment saying yes then? Like, was I more prepared for a yes later? And I think that that's possible. But there are a few reasons why I think that it, because it really started this trend of no at a really dangerous time to be saying no. Going to college is full of really awful yeses. Like everything is hard. This was my experience. My experience going to college was that everything was hard. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know how to get places. I didn't know how to feed myself regularly, like with massive amount of people around me. Like I didn't know how to do any of that. And so I wanted to say no all the time. And some of those, some of those were like pretty bad no's, right? Like no's of like missing out on the study group and doing worse on your tests or like no's to making friends. And I didn't know anybody my first semester freshman year because I just couldn't, I just couldn't say yes to the point where I wanted to leave the school. Like when I went home for Christmas winter break, like I was like, I'm, I'm not going back. I don't want to do that. Mm. And then I did. And I met some of the the best friends of my life, my, my second semester. And it really was radically life-changing. And I needed that break to break that pattern of no, that started because of this like original no, this like very first week freshman year, no, like really set me up in a bad place, you know, like, and there were some yeses that were equally uncomfortable that really, I did have fun. And honestly, I'm a significantly different person now than I was freshman year of college. And not all of that is because of college, but a lot of it is. And maybe that process could have started earlier, with like an earlier yes. And so that's what I think of when I think about like, I think maybe she could have had fun. To be fair, I'm thinking of like, three years in the future, Bridget, but like maybe three years in the future, Bridget could have happened then (laughs) if I'd said yes sooner. Mm. It's always so hard to remember who we were 
when we weren't the us that we are now. <laughs> but it feels like what we're actually moving towards in this question, Bridget, is kind of like guidance for yourself of like how to know what to say yes and no to for Bridget now, but also Bridget in a year's time or five years time or 10 years time, like to find some kind of golden rule about boundaries that honors the intentions that you have of focus, but also allows maybe for something that's unexpected or something that's maybe challenging, but will give such joy and build new friendships. So I'm excited to see if we can find that rule together. And the other thing about this is that, I mean, we joke that this is a podcast about grief, but like, because we are mortal and within that, right, because college was four years, because everything is limited, I think time management is the biggest problem of our lives, right? Like how you spend your time is how you spend your life. And so what you say yes and no to, I just think is this like super high stakes thing, right? And like, there are no bad answers and yet it feels so high stakes, right? Like, am I a person who stays true to my values and takes care of myself and my mental health? Or am I someone who says yes and tries new things? Like both of those feel like really valid choices to me. But yeah, these little choices add up to like on our deathbed, how we will look back and say, this is how I spent my life. Mm -hmm. So it's a life or death question, Bridget. (laughs) (laughs) it feels that way and like I started with like like a lower stakes story right but like we all know that there are higher stakes questions in my head about like the relationship with different family members and like whether or not I'm gonna be a parent someday or like what trajectory will my career take like a lot of those things are based on these like really small decisions that I'm feeling very Mm -hmm. ill-equipped to know how to make right now. Absolutely. Well, the way we try and equip ourselves to figure that out on the show is to bring two texts to be in conversation with. So what are the texts that you're bringing for us today, Bridget? So we'll start with the first one, which is from the wonderful, beloved musical Sound of Music. And it's the song Climb Every Mountain. Not known as a the main hit of that musical, but one <laughs> one like beginning of act two interlude that I like very much. And so I'm bringing this song, Sound of Music, for those who don't know, the music's from, it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. The movie is very much what I'm talking about, which came out in 1965, set in Austria, a young woman, Maria, who wants to be a nun, and then it gets pushed out of the nunnery to be a governess to see if she really does want to be a nun. And then she flees back to the nunnery when she thinks that maybe she might be in love with a man. And then they kick her out again, be like, no, go love that man. And then they fall in love and they run away from Nazis. So that's the story (laughs) of Sound of Music. It's maybe the greatest musical of all time. It's astonishingly wonderful. It is maybe the greatest piece of art of all time. Take that, Rembrandt. It's so good. I love everything about it. So the text I want to bring specifically, I mean, other than just like, the whole thing that is Sound of Music is this song that I actually do think it starts the beginning of act two called Climb Every Mountain. And it's this moment when Maria has been governess, has built these connections with the children and with Captain Von Trapp. And she flees back to the nunnery and she like goes into isolation. Like she's not talking or seeing anybody because she Her intention was to be a nun. She falls in love with this man. And then she's like, that would mean I can't be a nun. And I've committed to being a nun. So I need to go be a nun. And she's really sad and miserable. And like the kids miss her. And so there's this scene. The the mother superior says, I need to see Maria. And so she brings her into her study. You've been unhappy. I'm sorry. Reverend Mother. Why did they send you back to us? They didn't send me back, Mother. I left. Sit down, Maria. Tell me what happened. And she sings this song to her to really make the point that, like, you need to recognize that the plan for your life might be different than what you originally thought, and you can't let that stop you. And she sings this, like, beautiful operatic piece about it. Climb every mountain Search high and low Follow every byway, every path you know. And it's very 
very moving. And then Maria goes off and goes back to the family to see what where her life might be. You can't hide from your problems. You have to face them. Exactly. I can do the whole movie. Do you want me to act it out? I'm happy to. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> so this song, it's like a joking thing I do in my head is singing the song to myself. It's like in my head in the shower or like, you know, when I'm on my way to do something like this is a song that comes to my mind that I'll sing to myself, but it feels always with like a wink and a shrug and a joke. Like that's how I approach this text a little bit. And so just a caveat there. So it starts, climb every mountain, search high and low, follow every byway, every path, you know, climb every mountain, ford every stream, follow every rainbow till you find your dream. And then it goes in to a dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. So that's like the main chunk, like message of the song. I actually love that the mother superior, you know, she she's an, an older woman who's playing the role. And so her voice is maybe not at her best. And yet she sings with such clarity and insistence. Like there's so much in this scene, which is, as you said, like Maria wants to be a nun or she thinks she wants to be a nun. But it's in this moment of like discernment where both she and the community have to figure out if they're a match for each other. And the mother superior is actually saying like, you're not a match. Yeah, you're fired. (laughs) Like, it's like, this is not the place where you're called to be. You know, love with this wonderful hot captain is also a calling, like go follow that calling. So it's, I think it's an amazing moment in the movie because it's a very tough message that's said in such a kind way. And so I just love that you've chosen this because I think it, it actually has probably more depth than usually it's given credit for. What's great about this song, too, is that it's the second time they're telling her to leave the the nunnery. Like, this isn't the first time she's been told to go see if this is really the match. This is the second time. that, And she's always like, no, don't make me leave. Don't make me leave. This is the second time. And she's like, and and it deserves this song. So I think it's interesting that the song doesn't happen the first time they're telling her to leave. It's the second time they're telling Mm. her to leave. And the, the other thing I think is interesting setting this up is that Maria is... Like we learn that Maria grew up wanting to be a nun. She talks about living up in the mountains and coming down from the mountain and looking at the nuns in their garden. And like, that's the life she wanted from a very small age. And so it's interesting that this song is about like following your dreams and going for what you need and what you want in your life. And for Maria, that has been being a nun up until this very short period of time where she's feeling like that's not what she wants to do. Well, okay, but here it gets really interesting because the text is till you find your dream. And I've always read that to be like, oh, I know what I'm dreaming. Like now I just need to like get there. But what if, what if it's actually about finding what your dream is, like discovering what the dream is rather than achieving what you thought your dream was? Yes. I really wonder about that till you find your dream. It's like what's sticking in my head right now till you find your dream. Like what happens after you find your dream? I know that the song goes in to say a dream that will need all the love you can give every day of your life for as long as you live. Like there is instruction after you find your dream, but I'm not exactly sure how it relates to the call of climbing and fording and and following those those like actions. It's like once you find your dream, do you have to climb every mountain? I don't think so. Right. I think what the song is about is how difficult the path of discernment is and that Mm. the song is exactly about your problem. Right. Which is like, how do I figure out who Bridget is and what decisions she makes? It's interesting that you pick the song because to me, and this might not be your Mm. reading, but to me, it's saying say yes to every single thing. Climb every mountain, search high and low, follow every byway, every path. Right. Until you find your dream and then like that is also its own like rigorous thing that you have to do, right? Like you have to give it all of your love every day for as long as you live. But I think that so many of us feel this like, I don't know what my calling is. I don't know who I want to be. And there's so much stress about it. And what I love about this song is saying like, yeah, it's really hard. You have to climb every freaking mountain to figure that out. But I'm more curious, Bridget, what you think about this like until you know what your dream is, you have to say yes to everything. 
I think that that when I say that I sing this song in my head with like a little bit of a joke and a wink, I think it's because I think that's ridiculous. Like I think that's saying yes. (laughs) I think that's saying yes to, to everything until you've reached this like moment where you no longer have to do that like does not align with the way that I see the world or want to live in the world. Like, no, thank you. Like that, it sounds exhausting. Just like you're saying, like, and, and so I, I smirk at it. I say like, like who, who lives their life that way. But I am compelled by the idea that if you did that, would there be clarity at the end in a way that you don't have, if you're not willing to live that way? Like, is there, is there's this mystical clarity if I go ever over every mountain? Well, yes, but I also feel like the text is giving us more than just like go, go everywhere because it tells us what the dream should be because it's a dream that will need all the love you can give. And obviously in the movie, Maria has landed in this family context where it's not only this man who she has fallen for, who's also fallen for her, but it's all these seven children, which I, you know, don't wish that on you, Bridget. (laughs) But but there's something about the dream that isn't just like, oh, it could be anywhere, right? Like we would recognize it when we found it, if it demanded all the love that we had to give. I wonder if that's, if that's a way of looking at the shirt tails that makes sense. Like, did it demand love from you or were you just afraid? Because I feel like there are things I regret from my younger years. And I look back now and I'm like, I was just afraid. Like I wished I had kissed so many more boys in my twenties, but I was just afraid. And I, that wasn't a good reason to not do something. I mean, of course it was, it was a good reason, but I, I wish that hadn't been my guiding orientation and I love I like this text because it says like you can trust it if it asks love from you. I don't know. Does that make sense? It does. I'm 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 compelled by what you're saying about the difference here between like fear and love. I, like there's something mm. there that hooked into my brain that I'm not exactly sure what to do with, other than like because like I think that I do make a lot of decisions based on the. F- feeling of fear. Like, I don't know how much I would call it fear. Like, you know, cause that we have all of these <laughs> words for that, like yeah. feeling in the pit of your stomach that makes you like one of the ways my anxiety works, like the avoidance works is like, sometimes I can't open emails and read the words in them. Like that feels gutturally impossible to like, I just can't yes. do it. Right. So like, I wouldn't call that fear necessarily, but that feeling is very much a feeling that applies to often when I make decisions about not doing something like that is going to make me feel that feeling. Yeah. Like I can't trust that feeling, I guess is what I mean to say. I can't trust Mm. that feeling. And so it's hard Mm. for me to use like the existence of fear or discomfort versus love as like a marker because I just am so that that feeling is so unreliable inside of me. Yeah. So for example, just to see if I could can understand, for your 30th birthday, friends flew in from all over the country to be with you. And <laughs> Tyler, your partner, threw your dream party, right? Were you anxious about that? Did you feel fear even though it was constructed to be your dream come true? No, I did not feel any fear. Okay. So that's good to know, right? Because I just like wonder if that was like a dream that you could give all your love to. And and so it was easy to say yes to that. Right. And to be fair, the surprise really helped in that because I don't know that I would have asked those people to fly in or thrown the party because the very scary fear is that no one will come. And then you did this thing and no one will be there. My friends are great. They've, they've given me no reason to think that they wouldn't be there, but like, that's the, you know, like that's a thing that would prevent me from trying to initiate that and so someone, someone took on the duty of doing it for me. And then it was really, really worth it. Like, it was just like the most loving, joyful, incredible experience of my life. I'm like, I get choked up thinking about it. Like years late, you know, I will remember that for the rest of my life, but it's not something I would have done on my own in that way. So isn't it arguable that like Tyler, this person who you can tell everything to is the dream that you need and that requires all the love that you can give because right like he knows you well enough to help you do the other things you can't trust this fear feeling in yourself can you trust tyler 
Mm -hmm. Or if you can't trust that fear feeling, do you feel as though there are people in your life who are this dream that you can Mm -hmm. give all your love to, right? You are an incredibly loving friend. So do you feel like you can offload that responsibility to those people and have those people be the dream? Yes, I love that so much. I'm feeling this mix of like, of course, but also like that feels there's something novel hearing you say it through this text this way, because if I can't trust the feeling that I have, like I do have these people in my life who I know can help tell me if that's a real feeling or a not real feeling. And then in these moments when I've made decisions that don't feel quite right, it's often because I've tried to make them exclusively on my own. Like I haven't sought after Ah. the opinion of someone I love and trust. Like I didn't consult with anybody about shirt tails. It's not like I talked to my like youth group friends and said, this is happening. And I think it might make me uncomfortable. And they're like, yes, that is the decision you should make. Like no one told me what boundaries I should use to make that decision. I did it exclusively on my own. Mm. So I think that you're really highlighting this moment here that if I maybe had consulted would a different decision have been made? Well, I mean, and Maria is like you. Maria put up a big boundary. She was like, I am falling in love with this man. And that is not what I thought I was signing up for when I came into this house. By boundary. And it takes someone who loves her and knows her to say, no, no, wrong boundary. Go back. Right. Like this song is modeling yeah. that like you have to do this in community. I did not expect to get where we are right now with this text, like the, this idea of a uh, relationship with other people. And I feel like it's going to really complicate this, the second text I brought in a way I was not expecting. So I'm pretty excited about that. I'm offended that you thought you could predict how this was going to go. You know, <laughs> we've had conversations before, but apparently <laughs> when there's structure and rigor and community involved. <laughs> Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi listeners, this is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information, and be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsorryworks.com. So tell us about the second text. What did you bring? Okay. I brought maybe my favorite reread book. There are different categories of books, and this is a reread book, and this is maybe my favorite. Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell. 
It's a novel about a girl going to her freshman year of college. She's an identical twin and her twin did not want to room with her. And so she has to go off to this big, scary school, the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, by herself and live with a random person. And she has an anxiety disorder and a complicated relationship with her dad. And then you get to watch her through this story, really grappling with both like college new changes in your life and also family, some pretty like serious family drama and her own personal mental health. And the main character's name is Kath and her twin sister's name is Ren, Kath, Ren. And the text that I've brought from this, we could talk about a lot of parts of this book because if I haven't made it clear, I identify very heavily with the main character and her life experiences. But this this main plot point of this story is that Kath and her twin sister are identical, have shared a room their whole life, and are in college as this like split moment where they're not living a same life and they're in really different places. And one of the ways that they're in really different places is that their mother who left them wants to start having a relationship with the girls and they respond very differently. Ren is open to the idea and Kath is very much not open to the idea. And it causes a lot of strain on their relationship throughout the book. And after a moment where they're kind of forced to engage with the mom together because Ren is in the hospital, all of the, this like trauma happens. The specific moment we're looking at today is after that. When the sisters have made up, they're back to being close. They've let go of the things they were fighting about. But the thing that's not gone is that they're still trying to figure out how they want to have a relationship with their mom. And they're in slightly different places about that, but they're no longer fighting. So that's the moment that we're looking at here. So I'm going to read it for us. The first person we hear talking is Levi, Kath's boyfriend. Um, So they're talking and then Ren and Kath have this exchange. Levi says, that was some bad medicine, not talking to your mom, not talking to your sister. That was some Jacob and Esau business. I'm still not talking to my mom, Kath said. She had talked to Ren about their mom a lot, actually. Ren wasn't surprised that Laura hadn't stayed at the hospital. She doesn't do heavy stuff, Ren said. I can't even believe she came. She probably thought you were dying. I wasn't dying. How do you not do the heavy stuff, Kath said, indignant. Being a parent is all heavy stuff. She doesn't want to be a parent, Ren said. She wants me to call her Laura. Kath decided to start calling Laura mom again in her head. Then she decided to stop calling Laura anything at all in her head. Ren still talked to her, she who would not be named. She said they texted mostly and that they were friends on Facebook. Ren was okay with that amount of involvement. She seemed to think it was better than nothing and safer than everything. Kath didn't get it. Her brain just didn't work that way. Her heart didn't, but she was done fighting with Ren about it. So why did you bring this text? What what does it have to say to your question to you? A lot of the challenges I have around decision-making are about relationship with some immediate family members. It's not interesting drama. It's just hard to be in relationship with family sometimes. And I really love that this, this... drama, this decision, this anxiety between these sisters is revolving around a relationship with an immediate family member, like with a parent, and that there's challenges in how you want to engage with each other between the sisters and between the mom. And this text, I think, really exemplifies that, that these different decisions are being made and how they impact your relationship with the different people involved. And so I think that this text is worth digging into when I ask the question about what does it mean to have boundaries? How do I recognize when those boundaries are the right boundaries or the wrong boundaries? And like, how do I know when saying yes to something is right? Because Kath throughout this book is saying no to her mom. I do not want a relationship with my mother. No, thank you. And you see her making lots of terrible no decisions throughout the book. Like she doesn't eat at the cafeteria for like weeks because she's too nervous to go to it. And so she's just like living off of protein bars and it's making her sick. Like that's a bad no, like go figure out how to go to the cafeteria. You see her not making super logical decisions. And yet this, she sticks to throughout the whole book and she never changes her mind. She stays with the fact that she's saying no to having a relationship with her mom. And that, I, that resonates with me. And it really, I find it very interesting that this book, this text allows Kath to just stick to her no with something that 
arguably people would be like, it might be worth trying to say yes to that, to just see what it's like to be in relationship with your biological mother, like who is trying to reach out to you, right? Like there's lots of reasons to say yes to that. I think you can make a lot of arguments for it. And she sticks to her no. Yes. I love this snippet that you brought to us. My question is, it's entirely possible that both Kath and Ren are right. They're both making the right decision, especially because of Mm. this line that I think is central to it or this little conversation where it's she doesn't do heavy stuff, Ren said. And then Kath says, how do you not do the heavy stuff? Being a parent is all heavy stuff. And then Ren answers, she doesn't want to be a parent. And so I can imagine Kath being like, well, if she doesn't want to be a parent and she is my parent, then I can't be in relationship with her. Whereas it sounds like Ren is more okay with like, well, there's this woman named Laura whose vagina I happen to come out of. And so I just think that they're both right. And so I want you to keep seeing in this passage that a no is completely reasonable. The other thing that I'm wondering is when you say no, are you saying no in these circumstances? Because The mom says no first. The mom says, I don't want to be your mom, right? I want to be Laura. And that's a big no. And so Kath is just saying no back. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, this doesn't even feel like a no to me. It's so interesting. I mean, when we were talking before about climb every mountain, and I really loved where we got about relying on other people to help distinguish your the gut feelings you're having and helping distinguish between fear and anxiety and legitimate concerns, right? Like having to sort through those. I'm also compelled here that that's not what's happening. Like Kath isn't relying on the people who are closest to her. Her boyfriend, Levi, thinks that she should have a relationship with her mom. Her dad thinks that she should have a relationship with her mom. Her twin sister thinks that she should have a relationship with her mom. And like, and Kath is still like, that is not for me. And she really sticks to that. Like she's not listening to people. And yet the text allows that to be appropriate. This text isn't judging. I mean, it's from Kath's perspective, but there's not judgment on Kath. Kath doesn't place judgment on herself. And the people around her aren't necessarily placing judgment on her decision. They're just like not advising her to do that. Well, so I'm wondering if she does make this decision in community. You said she's not listening to them. Is she not listening to them or is she not agreeing with them? Hmm. Let's say you take a difficult decision to committee and you ask all of your friends and they all say whatever it is. You're trying to decide whether or not you should go to the zoo on Sunday, even though you were really excited about Sunday being sleep in day and doing nothing. And you talk to all of your friends and all of your friends are like, go to the zoo. And you're like, do you know what? I still don't want to go to the zoo. No one made a compelling argument. That doesn't mean you didn't listen to your friends, right? It's they didn't move you on it. And that means Mm -hmm. that your gut wasn't about anxiety. It was about something truer. And so I think Kath did listen to her community and she just disagrees. Yeah, it's such an interesting point and one that's really helpful because Tyler's a great example of someone who really helps measure like what's what I'm feeling and what is right to say no to and what isn't. And he's similar to me in the sense that like saying no to stuff feels so good, (laughs) like and it can really get you into a better place. And we really help you remind each other of that. But we have really different opinions on my relationship with my dad's family. My dad and I have a challenging relationship for lots of different reasons. He lives in Oklahoma and I live here. And it's been about 10 years since I've seen him in person. And our relationship kind of fluctuates in how much we're talking and how much we're connecting with one another. And because of that, I also have like a very odd, distant relationship with my dad's side of the family. Like I just am not in relationship with them. And like, I don't have a set decision on how I engage with my dad. It really changes and fluctuates. And Tyler and I very rarely agree with those fluctuations. Like he often has different opinions about the choices I'm making in those fluctuations of like when a boundary shifts, when I want to be, when I would do something that I normally would say no to answering calls later, like, you know, like doing different things. And he's often observing and, and questioning the decisions I'm making And that's hard. It gets hard for someone you trust to like be questioning it. And it makes me question it. Like, 
do I need to set firmer boundaries with how I engage? Is it okay to do this like fluctuating fly by the seat of my pants? How do I feel this day? And how do I want to be in relationship with this person? And so I've always thought that like, it's really about me. And this text, when I look at Kath, I'm like, yeah, it's about Kath. It's about what Kath needs. She's the one who's ultimately making the decision that's best for her. And so when I said that what our conversation earlier was complicating it for me, it was because like, well, maybe Kath should have involved committee. And now you're telling me that she is. And that's really helpful because I guess I am too. And that that engagement with other people are helping me know that, yes, I do want to do this right now, even though it feels hard, I'm going to do it. And so, and so you're really helping me see that when I thought there were alone decisions, that they're not alone decisions. Bridget, you've talked about identifying so much with Kath. And I, I love that these are two twin sisters and that, you know, they have such shared experiences and yet make such different choices. If Kath and Ren were two of the people that you were talking with as you were figuring out boundaries... What, what do you think their guiding principles would be for you? Mm. Like, what would be their advice? It's interesting to me that Ren is able to make a half decision is what it feels like to me. Mm. Like something is better than nothing or everything is a really hard space to live in. And honestly, I think why decision making around my relationship with my dad is so anxiety inducing is because it is this something, not nothing or everything. And it's, it's truly, it's very hard to live in that space. And I've like, I marvel at Ren's ability to do that in the way that Kath is kind of marveling at Ren's ability to do that. But like, I'm not like Kath and, and Kath would be like, sometimes you're just not built for that. You know, like that's, I think that Kath is how she feels. Like you're just not built for that kind of something. So just choose nothing or everything. And, and even though that's, that's the character I identify with, like, that's actually not what I want to do. And so Mm. it's interesting to think about Ren's advice when it's coming from a person and I'm like, you're so different from me. Like you have abilities I don't have, like that's something you could do, but I couldn't. And yet here I am doing it. I do think that Rin would be encouraging that sometimes it's not a yes and no. Sometimes it's just something and not yes or no, but what a, whew, what a spot to be in the middle of. And I, and it would be very compelling to me when Kath would be like, screw that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just love what you said of like, and yet here I am doing it because I think so often we're looking, especially with boundaries, right? The images that we have are walls and these very solid structures that give clarity and you're either on this side or you're on that side. It's a yes or it's a no. And yet, especially with the choices we have to make that are so significant, nearly 90% of the time, I think it feels like the something is all that's on offer. Mm. (laughs) Um, And I just, I just hope you know that you are doing it like you just said, and that that is really hard, but also really powerful that you're able to stay there, at least in this moment. I hope you don't discount that about yourself. Mm. It also makes sense to me that you want so many no's in other parts of your life if you're living in this big, ambiguous place. Yeah. Like, I really relate to that. Like, when I'm having one stressful situation that is overtaking my life, I say no to a lot more things. I'm like, sorry, I'm working at capacity right now. I am at capacity for emotional drama. I don't care about X, Y, and Z right now. And it just feels like if you have the central thing in your life that you're constantly pushing your anxiety on, you've like spent your anxiety points. And so you're going to say no to shirt tails. Like, and and again, I, I just think this gets back to like, And that sucks that your anxiety points are being spent in a way that you wouldn't necessarily choose to spend them. It sucked that I couldn't afford to go to that wedding, right? Like you, but you only have a certain number of anxiety points and they're being used. And so Mm. say no to other things that make you anxious. Refill your tank. I mean, I think that one of the reasons this question, like the reason this question felt right for right now because it's, it's an always question, right? But like, why right now is this on my mind? And it's because living in quarantine during a pandemic has been so 
clarifying in terms of boundaries around yeses and nos. Like, like, I don't mean to dismiss the trauma of that experience by also acknowledging the like relief that was attached to the just clear cut yeses and nos and leaving that entering this limbo of, of still, we're not in the clear, but some just like, I'm vaccinated and like making these decisions about what my life is going to look like over the next two months, six months, 12 months. Like I am overwhelmed (laughs) by the idea that I have to enter the regular world of decision-making, um, without these like firm guiding posts. And so what you're saying is really resonating with me of the like anxiety points being spent, right? Like I, was able to find some clarity in the sometimes places of my life while there were such clear yeses and nos. And I'm feeling a lot of nervousness around losing the clarity of those yeses and nos. What am I going to do about those sometimes that I'm trying to manage right now? I'm, I'm feeling less equipped right now more than ever to live in those somethings spaces and not, and, and I'm feeling compelled to be in more everything or nothing spaces. And so I want to, I'm hesitant I want the way that I face decision-making and, and instincts and, dis- and, and anxiety around it. I want it to have shifted a little bit as I enter this space. And I don't want it to I'm nervous about it being a regression <laughs> of like how I make a decisions as an adult. And so that that's why community is feeling like a really helpful answer right now and seeing that like I've, I'm doing it. Casper, thank you for calling attention to that and to both of you for that because- it is happening. It's not that I am, have to learn new skills now. It's just that I have to eat more protein, you know, like, do, like you, you like change your diet sometimes to like, cause you need, you have a deficiency, right. And like, that's where we're facing. I need to like boost up some of the deficiencies and not like learn a new thing mm. is what I'm thinking about right now. The other thing, Bridge, is that you said that Kath doesn't change her position that she starts at a no and she ends at a no. But at the end of this passage that you brought us, she says, but she was done fighting with Ren about it. And that Mm -hmm. is a change because at first she Mm. was like, not only no, but I need to convince my twin sister that she should also be a no. It will only feel like a no that matters to me if we are on the same page. And she does move her boundary a little bit. She's like, now... I'm going to run into mom by mom. I mean, Laura, when Laura and Ren are hanging out and I want Ren in my life and I don't want to fight with Ren. So Laura is creeping a little bit into her life, right? It's not the same hard no. And so I just, I'm wondering if there's any wisdom in that for you too, that it's still a no, but it's a slightly different no from Kath. Yeah. You're so right. Because there, there's a moment in the book when she's like, I don't want Laura's brain touching my life. Like, I don't even want her thinking about me. I don't even want any connection point at any in any way. And Ren and Laura having a relationship meant that, like, Kath was involved and she wanted to be so separated from him. And so you're right. Like, that there, there is this change here that Kath is saying she can't do a something you know, something she has to do and everything or nothing. That's how her brain and heart works. But actually that's not true. She's finding her own something because she's allowing Laura's brain to touch her life. Like she's allowing herself to be in thoughts and like to acknowledge that Laura exists. And she's found a way to to manage that. She says she can't, but she's doing it. I love this image of these three women of Maria, Ren and Kath, like, I don't know, running through the Austrian mountains on a vacation or something. So let's put our two texts together and create a florilegium. Are there two snippets, one from each that we can put next to each other, Bridget, and see if there's something new to discover? Yeah, let's take a look. I think that a dream that will need all the love you can give is what I'm going to pull from um, Climb Every Mountain. And then from our second text, it was better than nothing and safer than everything. So when I read those two together, Bridget, will you tell me what comes up for you? Mm-hmm. A dream that will need all the love you can give. It was better than nothing and safer than everything. It's it's so interesting to think about what it means to give all of your love in a way that is 
better than nothing and safer than everything? Like, what does that mean in relationship to loving something? It's really making me wonder about when you're in that space of something, not everything and not nothing, are you doing it because that's where the most love is? Because I, I think that if you push yourself too far into a yes, that is like beyond the boundary <laughs> that is legitimate, <laughs> like a legitimate boundary, that's not more love. Like pushing yourself into uh -huh. a yes isn't more love and staying behind in a nothing space, like staying behind in a firm no is also maybe not like you're maybe cutting yourself off from love. And so that maybe this middle space of sometimes I think in the example of Kath and her mom, it's clear what it means to live in a middle space. And I feel that with my relationship with my dad. And I think that in some ways, some decisions aren't, don't have middle grounds, but when they do, like maybe that's where it's the most love you can give because it's something, but it's not everything. Right. The can is so important. I think that in the context of the whole song, it's this like all the love you can give should go into this one dream. But in this pulled snippet, it's like a dream that will need all the love you can give. And with the sentence after, it's like and nothing more and nothing less. Right. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you're not ready for a pet dog, but you're ready for a house plant because a house plant is all the love you can give. And it's nothing more and nothing less. Like you have to rearrange mm -hmm. your furniture and find the place for the right sun and remember to water it. Right. Like all these things. But you're not ready to change your travel schedule and do all the things for a dog. I just I love these two together because it even makes the climb every mountain seem more measured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Leaning on that can, mm -hmm. there are limits and it's not like I will forever be limited in the love I can give. Right. It's like in this moment and in this decision where it's not a boundary of what makes me feel good, what makes me feel bad. It's a boundary of like, where am I my most loving self to myself and to the people around me? Like, where is that sweet spot of the love I can give and not pushing myself past the place where it's beyond what I can give. And then I, then the, my most loving self is challenged, you know, is like inhibited. Yeah. That's beautiful. It really is. I just love this florilegia of these two sentences together. Me too. It's, it's so interesting, right? Like the all and then the can and then better than nothing and safer mm -hmm. than everything. Right. I think it honors how complicated your question is also. The fact that it's all nothing, everything, right? It's like mm. boundaries live in that in-between space. And so, of course, you're struggling with this, right? Like there's no mm -hmm. there's no clarity on these things or rarely is there clarity, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Bridget, thank you so much for joining us this week. Will you thank the creators of our wonderful texts? Yes. I would like to thank... Julie Andrews and Rogers and Hammerstein <laughs> um, and, you know, everyone else involved. And I would like to thank Rainbow Rowell for changing my life and writing these amazing books. Am I also allowed to say thank you? Thank you, Casper. And thank you, Vanessa. And thank you, Ariana. This was like a surprisingly life-changing conversation considering we like see and talk to one another in less structured ways. This was just really very meaningful part of my day and life. It's like actually kind of altering. <laughs> Isn't it surprising? <laughs> I don't mean to sound so surprised, no, it but is. like, here we are. <laughs> we would also like to thank Clara from Hamburg, Germany, who reminds us this week of this quote by Jessica Hisch. There is always more internet. You will never finish it. Go the fuck to sleep. <laughs> Excellent. Amen. I needed that. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you so much, Clara. Next week, we're doing an episode on what it means to be a Karen. So if you have an experience where you feel like in hindsight, you were a bit of a Karen or someone was being a Karen to you, please record a voicemail and send it to us at realquestion at notsorryproductions.com. 
You've been listening to The Real Question, and we can only make this show thanks to your incredible support. If you have the means to help us out, please join our fabulous patrons at patreon.com slash realquestionpod. And if you love the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes and spread the word. Thank you so much to everyone who's been sharing the episodes on social media. You can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook at realquestionpod, and on Twitter at therealqpod. We are a Not Sorry production. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman, and our music is by Nick Bull. We are distributed by 8Cast. Special thanks this week to Ashley for their voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Molly Baxter, Stephanie Paulsell, all of our patrons, and a special thanks this week to Bridget Goggin. We love talking to you. Thank you for being our first guest. Thank you. Love you all very much. Love you. You too. Thanks, Bridget. Hi, listeners. This is Naomi Westwater. You may know me from my previous classes at Not Sorry. I'm dropping into your feed today to let you know about an upcoming course I'm running starting March 17th called Creating Daily Ritual, Tarot as a Sacred Practice. In this course, I will teach you about the history and meaning of the cards in the Rider-Waite-Smith Tarot deck and model how they can be used as a tool for self-reflection and creativity. Through lecture, discussion with your classmates, and solo journaling, I will aim to help you develop your individual connection with tarot, this ancient tool for meaning-making. If you're looking to elevate your daily ritual, please join me starting Sunday evening, March 17th, for six weeks of habit-building, learning, and community. Head to notsorryworks.com for more information. And be sure to check out our sliding scale pricing and scholarships listed on the website. That's notsoryworks.com.